Welcome to the show for sinners and sufferers. My name is Cody, and this is the fourth part of our series studying the book of 1 Timothy. We're talking about God's grace for the worst sinners, what that means for us, and how we interact with God, each other, and those who we might think are worse sinners than we are. And we're doing this by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, which says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're at a, a point in Paul's letter to Timothy where he goes into this doxology. It's an expression of worship. It seems as if Paul is almost interrupting himself in writing his own letter. He has to respond to what he was just writing about. In the previous section, he addresses how the law is for condemnation, but the gospel is for salvation. The law tells us to be perfect or perish. The gospel tells us that Christ has been perfect for us. And he ends that section speaking of the glorious gospel that God has entrusted to him. And this following paragraph now is his response to that, a natural outpouring of worship and, and wonder at the reality that this gospel would ever be entrusted to him. By the final verse, you can almost hear him singing as he writes this hymn, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Notice he opens a paragraph saying, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has appointed me to service. He doesn't say appointed to leadership or appointed me to honor, but he has been appointed a servant of the Lord, of the church and, and the gospel. Paul is not trying to overstate his position to sound greater than he is. He identifies himself as a servant. Yet, even so, he still wonders at this because of who he is, what qualified him to this calling, on what basis was he appointed to service. Paul gives his credentials by saying, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. How often have we seen uh, public outcry and calls for people to be fired, silenced, or canceled because of actions of their past? statements they made and things they posted on social media however many years ago. The court of the masses does not extend grace. But Paul says, the Lord overflowed with it. He poured out mercy and grace onto Paul to fill him with true love and faith because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. And Paul is not saying this as an excuse. Acting in, in ignorance and unbelief doesn't make his actions more acceptable. It makes his situation more dire. He felt no conviction or remorse for what he did because he thought he was in the right. 
Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That is exactly what Paul was doing. He was zealous for God, but zealous without understanding. Some of the most heinous acts committed by humans have been done by people who honestly believed they were doing nothing wrong or even that they were doing the right thing. That doesn't excuse their actions. In many cases, it it makes them seem far worse. I think inherently we all feel there is no true justice unless the perpetrator understands that what they did was wrong. There certainly can be no correction or restoration without that. Because of Paul's ignorance, he would never stop on his own. He would never stop persecuting Jesus' church. He would never stop killing Christians. He would never stop denying Jesus as the Messiah without God's intervention. He desperately needed both God's mercy, that is to be spared what he truly deserved, to be saved from the judgment due his actions, as well as God's grace, to be given what he did not deserve, truth and understanding, a second chance, a new calling and purpose, adoption into the household of God, true faith and love. God has given him strength. Paul's strength as a teacher and apostle is not from his own actions, from his zeal for righteousness or his depth of understanding, but from God's grace. And Paul says this, he says, this is a trustworthy saying deserving of full full acceptance. And that's an expression Paul only uses in writing to Timothy and Titus. And it appears to be a marker of, of creed statements of Christianity, of foundational doctrines of the faith. And the statement this time is this, it says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. And if you're a a churched person, you've spent time growing up in Christianity, the statement Jesus came to save sinners might seem kind of obvious. And that's a good thing because it means we have in fact held on to that truth as Paul instructed. But it has this added weight being said by Paul, who was a Pharisee. As a Pharisee, Paul would have distanced himself from those he deemed sinners in every possible way. One of the insults the Pharisees would bring against Jesus is that he was a friend of sinners. They thought that proved him a false Messiah because if he was the true legitimate Messiah, he would have been just like them. You know, he would have shunned sinners the way they did. But that's because they completely missed the point. Paul, a former Pharisee, identifies now that Jesus came into the world for exactly those who they would call sinners. Because sinners are those who recognize their need for a savior. And Paul even includes himself in that category now. Sinners of whom I am foremost or whom I am the worst, he is saying. In the last video, we looked at Paul's list of these different kinds of sinners in the previous section. And I said then the point of this list is to be broad that he includes every one of us. And now we see Paul wasn't even excluding himself from that category. He wasn't creating an us and them distinction. He says, I am one of them. I am the foremost, the chief of them. And he doesn't say, I was one. He says, I am a sinner. And this is not false humility. 
Paul's recognizing the heart within him, that he was capable of committing those things before reveals his true nature, that without Christ's righteousness, he would not be found righteous before God. Without the strength, the faith, and the love that grace poured out to him, he would not now be a servant of Jesus. When we read about sinners in scripture and we separate ourselves from them, we are just as bad as the Pharisees. We need Jesus. We need the gospel just as much as those people, because in fact, we are those people. The only separation from those in Christ and those outside is that we have placed our trust in Jesus. And even that is not a reflection of our great wisdom, but a gift of grace from God. As Paul said, God gave him faith. Even our faith to trust in God is an unearned gift of his grace. Paul says, God chose him that he might display his perfect patience. That if God could turn this man, his enemy, into a herald of his glory and his kingdom, an enemy into a servant, don't you think he could turn you into something beautiful? Do not think that there is anyone beyond saving, too far gone for God's redeeming grace. Not you, not your friend or relative or coworker, not your enemy. If Paul, who was once called Saul of Tarsus, the killer of Christians and opponent of Christ, can be saved, there is hope for anyone. Paul ends this, this chapter, ends chapter one with verses 18 and 20, which uh, I didn't read earlier. I suggest you go read them for yourself. I don't think they warrant a, a whole nother video of their own, but Paul is basically closes off this section by encouraging Timothy that in his situation, this good warfare, he calls it the spiritual battle Timothy is waging with these false teachers. Paul encourages Timothy that this grace is also his strength. It is not his own righteous deeds or earthly wisdom that strengthen him to stand for truth, but the grace of God. He says, by abandoning this message of the gospel of grace, some have shipwrecked their faith. And he names two guys who have been teaching this false gospel, abusing God's law. And he says, there's no place for this teaching in the church. And he instructs on church discipline, says to kick them out until they learn not to blaspheme, but learn the true gospel of grace. So that's chapter one of 1 Timothy. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. If you have comments, questions, or snide remarks, you can message on Instagram at Sinnersufferers. Leave a comment on the YouTube video or join the Discord. There is a link in the YouTube video description and on our website, sinnersandsufferers.com. If you made it this far, why not subscribe on YouTube or follow in your podcast app? Leave a, a like or a rating. It all goes a long way to help more people find this content and I'll see you later.